Hello and welcome to the Moving to Florida show. I am your host Judson along with co-host Mohit Badlani. What's up everyone? All right, so we're uh, we're going to be discussing our uh, 2020 real estate sales in review. Last week we did our uh, our kind of I guess thoughts and feelings, maybe you would say <laughs> on on 2020 how the year went for us. Right? It was more it was more like yeah, very personal. Uh, what our personal businesses was like last year. Right. So, so we want to come back and review the numbers, you know, go over what the real estate market is actually looking like for the year. Um, we did last year after we started the show every month, we released a, uh, a monthly market review and those seem to be pretty popular. We got maybe even more downloads of those episodes than our, our regular uh, weekly episodes, right? Yeah. People want to know what's going on in Florida. That's right. Yeah. So, so uh, last week, I did attend a uh, a webinar that was put on by Florida Realtors. It was the Florida Real Estate Trends, and so that's where a lot of the data from from this episode is going to come from. But uh, you know, one thing that we didn't have in our monthly market update episodes was we didn't have too much information on new construction. So that's actually how this webinar that I attended started. So. I pulled out kind of some key points for that 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 I thought were were interesting to go over. Um, first of all, they said that home building was definitely a year of growth in 2020, um, but this year in 2021, new home construction is expected to be somewhat constrained, um, mostly by the supply factors like high lumber costs, um, a shortage of actually buildable lots, and then other regulatory issues as well. Um, they had the North American Home Builders Chief Economist, Dr. Roberts Dietz, on, and what he said was that the limiting factor for builders has been basically a roller coaster ride for lumber prices. Um, in talking with the different builders, rising lumber costs for newly built homes could could be pushing prices up as much as fifteen thousand dollars or more um, just for the lumber. And then that about twenty four percent of the cost of the new home comes from the cost of regulatory requirements um, during both the development and the construction phase. So Mo, I know that one of those big regulatory requirements we see and that we hear a lot about are impact fees. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to explain to everyone what impact fee, I'm, I'm sure you can explain that better than I can, what impact uh, fees actually is. Yeah. So it's basically, in a sense, it's a tax. I mean, it's one of these regulatory requirements that they're mentioning, but it, it is essentially a tax because if you're building a new home, um, the county is going to have it's going to have a an, uh, an impact, so to speak, on the right. costs to the county, because there could be um, students, you know, there could be children that live in that house that are going to go to school. Um, there's going to be more of a toll on local infrastructure. Think of things like connecting to the water system and the, the sewage system and things like that. Um, these do all have an impact on the costs right. for, for the county. So they charge what is called an impact fee. So anytime you build a new house, you have to pay impact fees, right? Those are the initial fees that you get up front that uh, that that go towards your closing costs sometimes, and uh, well, it, it could be rolled over into the cost of the home itself of uh, the new construction. But yeah, going back into uh, new construction, I've seen. I mean, I follow the stock market um, as much as you do, and we're seeing you know future stocks for lumber going up and up and up, and home prices are going uh when new construction home prices are, are starting to go up because of these uh, uh future costs and whatnot but uh yeah impact fees has a lot to do with the home new home costs going up as well so uh just keep an eye on those things um i know a lot of builders have their own builder fees too 
So uh, if you, that's something new that I've seen in the last year and a half, two years, uh, and also cutting uh, commissions too. <laughs> if you've noticed, a lot of these builders are starting to cut uh, realtor commissions. Um, if you can explain to something that we we saw a trend last year or late last year on. So why do you think the builders are doing that? Uh, well, I think they're just they're trying to tighten their belts in case there are any market changes. I mean, obviously, mm. we're in kind of a, a tumultuous market where there's a, a lot of weird different things going on that we haven't seen in the past. So they're just uh, trying to, to save money and or make money anywhere that they can. And yeah, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of the builders are charging a, a builder fee, sometimes a flat, you know, $1,800 is one we saw recently. Right. Um, or even I've seen a percentage as much as one and a half percent. So, I mean, really, basically what that allows the builder to do is say, yeah, this house is $400,000, but really, once you add that builder fee in, you know, of one and a half percent, that's an extra $6,000. It's really a $406,000 house. Yep, yep. And we're also noticing that um, a lot of the areas of very popular areas like Winter Garden... um, and Lake Nona and Meadowoods and the areas that are building these new construction homes, their pricing uh, has increased every three homes. So every three homes they sell, and they're increasing more than $5,000. It used to be maybe 1000 2000 every five or six homes they sell, but now it's like being consistent with every three homes, we're going to raise it 5000 plus. And that's making it tougher and tougher for people to afford these new construction homes. And with uh, with our inventory <laughs> shortage as well, that's not helping us out either uh, as far as people getting into homes. Yeah, I saw this uh, actually a community nearby here that I was looking at up in Mineola. You know, it was a small community, only about ninety homes. They haven't even broken ground yet. I mean, they they've I guess they've broken ground. They have the the roads in and the sewer system and everything, but they don't have any you know homes at even the slab. Uh, phase right now, not no, even the models. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were looking at that community and the sales rep on site said, I don't have anything. Nothing's released right now. Basically, it's just an interest list. They they had sold 12 of the uh, 90 homes at that point, And she said that she couldn't sell anything right now. But we could get on the interest list and that they were, um, once the list opened up, they would let her sell four homes. Yeah. And then they closed it down again and then they were going to raise prices and then maybe another week or two they would open it up again. Right. And that every time uh, this one was 3 grand, but every time they sold four homes, it went up by $3,000. So I mean, you can imagine over time when you build out 90 homes, I mean, that's going to that $3,000 at a time is going to add up. Right. And, and, and I mean, the good thing is if you get in a community like that early, you do have a lot of equity already built in, you know, right. by the time you actually move into your home. I wonder what this is doing to appraisals as well. So if someone is getting a loan for some one of these homes, which most people are, um, I wonder how it, it's impacting appraisal uh, reports. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I actually ran into something like this recently, too, in a different community um, where the builder would not allow an appraisal contingency. And and their argument for it was, well, you know, we're already going to be having homes built out. They're already going to be selling. So the appraisal is not going to be an issue because, you know, homes, there will already be comps right here in the neighborhood for it. And I mean, that does kind of make sense. I mean, on one hand, yeah, it's kind of scary that... uh, that you can't get that appraisal contingency. But on the other hand, I mean, they do have a point. It, it shouldn't be an issue with appraisals. And that is something we see very commonly is the the appraisals for new construction come in over. Right. Um, I, th- I think definitely over more often than under uh, is right. what I've seen. Um, also, I guess you're, uh, you're uh, 
during your webinar, I think uh, Robert Dietz did. He did note like you know Florida showing uh, a strong growth in new construction last year, which was uh, you know with 2020 building permits. And the state was up about 30% year over year. And that is, I mean, that's that's huge growth. I mean, in, you know, in a state that we were already seeing tons and tons of new construction, um, you know, to see a 30% jump in, in new construction. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, the builders have been tightening their belts, but you see they are still producing, you know, a lot of homes, which is, is good. I mean, that's what we need for our constrained inventory. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're seeing a huge, I mean, personally us too, we were, we're seeing a huge shift into suburbs and that's something the, uh, the economist also said, you know, he tracked the data and, and, and looked at, at the cities and it's a big, it's a big shift to the suburbs for housing <laughs> for the right. latter part of 2020 due to COVID. Right. So, so, I mean, basically what they saw was that um, the large metro areas did still experience year-over-year growth at about 5.7% in uh, the third and fourth quarter of, of 2020. Um, but the, the lower density, lower cost, you know, suburbs that are out away from the big cities, they reported a much bigger growth rate at about 15%. Wow. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's huge. And then... Um, they also looked at areas that are really known for like second homes, investment homes, retirement communities, things like that. Again, away from the, the, the densely packed urban cores. And those areas actually saw year over year growth rate of about 23.2%. So huge growth in, in those areas, you know, especially again, getting out a little further away from the metros. Right. So you can see this huge, you know, people buying secondary homes, investment homes, retirement, even people who are coming in and buying their retirement home at the age of 40. <laughs> so they're getting prepared to get the, get in this early. Uh, now, going into, you know, the local uh, um, residential sales market, not local, but, you know, residential sales market. In 2020, we saw a dip in sales in mid-March into may something we spoke about last week we we both saw our businesses doing the same thing from march to maybe may uh due to COVID 19 but that reversed to the point where we saw a rise of almost six percent compared to 2019 with just over three hundred thousand sales of single family homes in 2020 uh during the second half of 2020 single family home sales were up uh, an amazing 18 percent year over year that is huge that's right. Yeah. As you mentioned, you know, March into May sales were, were down, but then we had such growth in the, the second half of the year that, that, you know, we ended up finishing out the year with 6% more sales than in 2019. That, that's just sh- just showing you what, um, what Florida has to offer. I mean, Florida, Florida, and plus we, we decided to open up uh, earlier than any other state. So we saw a huge influx in the second half of the year of people coming from up North. Um, uh, meanwhile, uh, there were close to about 120,000 sales of condos and townhouses reported in 2020, which is about two and a half percent increase from 2019. It's not a huge jump, but that's a pretty decent, decent jump from 2019 to 2020. Yeah, especially when you consider that there were a lot of people moving out of like the, the you know, little closer proximity condos and townhouses moving towards the single family market. You know, when you consider that there was kind of a movement away from those to see that that market is still up, you know, that was kind of impressive to me for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So I'm going to go to a quote from the uh, Florida Realtors Chief Economist, uh, Dr. O'Connor. He's the one that actually put on this Florida uh, Real Trends webinar. You know, he's the one that compiles all this data that we go over on our monthly uh, episode. So I'm going to go to him. He said the dollar volume of closed single-family home sales rose by about 22.5% in 2020 to nearly $125 billion. So that's interesting because, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Overall sales were up six percent year over year, you know, as far as the number of sales. Right. But for single family homes, the actual dollar volume was up twenty two and a half percent. I mean, that's wow. That's a huge jump. So I mean that that means we were what at about a hundred billion last year or in twenty nineteen, one hundred and twenty five billion in twenty twenty. And then over on the the condo and townhouse category, um, they ended the year with an annual total dollar volume just over thirty six billion, which was also a big jump, a fourteen percent jump in uh, closed dollar volume. Yeah, so <laughs> right before the show, I, I was looking at these notes, and I was like, I was looking at Judson. I was like, are you sure it's billion? Is it B for billion, for real, like that? He's like, yeah, there's about $25 trillion worth of homes down here. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's right. Yeah, in in the state of Florida, the the entire housing stock, so all of the housing that's available, is an estimated value of about twenty five trillion dollars. So, um, most counties in the state saw a year over year increase in overall sales, though that wasn't the case for Orange, Miami Dade, and Broward counties. In Orlando, the drop in closed sales was a large part due to the loss of uh, of of jobs in the during the pandemic especially in the areas of entertainment leisure and hospitality south florida especially the cities of miami and fort lauderdale was hit hard by the early wave of covid 19 cases and then had another hit when the state experienced a second wave of cases in the summer of 2020 that's right. Yeah. I mean, this one was kind of surprising to me because, you know, we were discussing earlier the the huge demand we have for housing here. And I mean, we're in Orange County. You know, we are on the western edge of Orange County. So to see that that sales in Orange County were actually down year over year was kind of surprising to me. But in a sense, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You know, Orange County, Miami-Dade County, and Broward County, those are the three, um, you know, three of the most populous counties in Florida. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it makes sense that those were where we had the least growth, you know, and again, according to this, a little bit of a dip in sales. Um, but that doesn't mean that demand has slowed. I mean, we, we've got less inventory, so, you know, demand is, is still crazy high. Um, going back to, to Dr. O'Connor, he said the highest closed home sales in 2020 tended to occur in the state's smaller coastal communities. Um, those draw retirees and second home buyers. So going back to that figure we said earlier, mm-hmm. the, the retiree and second home buyer segment was up 23%. Um, and then, you know, surprisingly, a lot of that growth was also in sales um, that were $400,000 plus. And then especially homes that were at a million dollars or plus, uh, they did even better. Over 100% plus growth in in the million dollar plus wow. um, category, which I mean, let's, you know, let's be real. We're talking about coastal communities. So, I mean, if you're, right. so if you're talking about beachfront homes, of course, they're a million dollar plus. Right, right, right. And I've also noticed in... Uh, in like the higher priced areas in Dr. Phillips, Winter Garden and Wintermere, I mean, there's no homes available that's over a million dollars right now. I mean, when it's once they come to the market, they're they're snatched they up right away. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's surprising to see. I mean, just historically, million dollar plus houses. Of course, there's a particular clientele that's buying those. They do tend to sit on the market a little bit longer. But yeah, here here towards the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, those homes too are just selling quick. 
Right, right. Uh, the statewide median sale price for single-family existing homes was three hundred and nine thousand. To you know, the end of the year and statewide median um, prices for condos and townhouses was about two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. And on the supply side <laughs> of the market, inventory no was very here. low. <laughs> no surprise here, uh, especially in the single-family category, which is uh, very limited to 1.8 months of supply at the end of the year. So, if you want to explain, and, and sorry, and condos and townhouse inventory is about 4.2 months. That's a little more healthier than uh, than single-family. But if you want to explain to people what inventory means. Inventory is is real simple. Just uh, if no new homes come on the market, how long will it take to sell out of the existing supply at the rate that homes are currently selling? So uh, 1.8 month supply is very, very, very low. Um, typically, you know, kind of a normal market is around six months supply. Right. So at 1.8, you know, Hey, if no new homes come on the market, we're going to run out of housing really quick. It's like our market on steroids right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, so yeah, that's kind of our, our 2020, you know, numbers in review. Um, we like to go over those. We, we think it, you know, provides a lot of helpful insights. Um, something else I wanted to discuss, I actually found an article that was talking about, uh, moving company data and I, I thought it was really interesting because it shows a lot of what's going on. I mean, they're basically tracking here's where the moving truck or the moving van or whatever, here's where it was, you know, picked up at, let's say in, you know, New Jersey, and here's where it went to in Florida is where a lot of those went. Um, so, I mean, definitely, you know, what they said, Florida's population has been growing for years, but the migration trends to Florida definitely accelerated in 2020, you know, in part because of the pandemic. I mean, many people are able to work remotely at, right. you know, a second home or at a vacation rental or even permanently, you know, at their permanent new home. Um, and then, you know, we did, I think you alluded to this earlier, a lot of people just moved up their plans to retire here. Right. You know, something else that we've we've kind of been seeing is people that go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still five years out from retirement, but I do want to retire in Florida eventually. I can go ahead and buy the house in Florida now that I'm going to retire to, you know, maybe use it as a rental and make a little income, maybe right. just use it when I want a vacation there or, you know, while I'm able to work from home. And, you know, so we did see a fair bit of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I think you had some stats over here on U-Haul, too. <laughs> so, wow. But, but something that really surprised me when I looked over these notes, it's uh, we came in fourth place as far as uh, corporate shipments goes. How come? How come we came in fourth? We were we were so good this year. But, you know, I mean, Texas, California, Illinois, those are some major metropolitan cities, too. They have some big cities in there. So uh, I can see why Florida came in fourth, but... Uh, with our numbers the way they are, I thought you know Florida would be at least in the in the top one or two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Florida is now ranked as the third most populous state. So you know there are states with a bigger population for sure. And I mean, when we're talking about uh, corporate shipments, I mean, you know that that doesn't necessarily correlate to to people moving in. So I guess that's why we were a little bit uh, lower on that list. Um, you know, speaking of, of, you know, business and, and things like that, yes, we're, we're consistently ranking high for people moving here, but we are also pretty high ranking for corporate relocations. So that's both 
people moving in for new jobs, you know, where their, their company is actually moving them uh, to Florida for a new job. But then also we've seen, you know, the business friendly climate that we have here, more businesses are moving to Florida as well. Um, especially we've seen financial service firms, you know, a lot moving here from, you know, Hey, maybe they don't have to be specifically on wall street. Now we're seeing a lot of that go into like, um, um, down, you know, South Florida around Miami and Fort Lauderdale, things like that. A lot of these financial service firms are moving. And a lot of people that are working from home from other states and they can move to Florida now because of the fact that they are working from home. So their, their corporate might not be moving them, but you know, they're moving themselves <laughs> to Florida. Um, so that we've seen a lot of that too. Like, uh, for example, my wife's company no longer has, uh, has the uh, brick and mortar anymore so people go in the office so a lot of people are moving to other parts of Florida where they can have more space and whatnot so uh, even though the corporate is not paying for it or they're move not moving you know placements but they're still moving people are still moving it yeah, for sure. So, so looking at the different uh, moving companies that provided data for this study, um, in 2020, uh, Florida was fourth for Atlas Van Lines as far as inbound moves. Um, they were first for United Moving Company, um, and then for Allied Van Lines, which uh, does do count both corporate and consumer moves. Um, we were at the at the top for both of those volume lists for Allied Van Lines, though I didn't get a, a specific uh, number for that one for um, Allied. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, looking at other states as well, um, where we took fourth place, we were behind Texas, California, and Illinois, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, Texas and California, those make sense. They both got huge populations. Illinois as well. I mean, they've got, you know, huge population, especially around, you know, Chicago metro area. So, I mean, and there's a lot of business, you know, located there. So, I mean, that makes sense why those beat us out on corporate shipments. What was surprising looking at that stat too, Florida kept its title as the top destination state uh, in 2020, and it's had that for the past seven years. I thought that one was pretty impressive. Seven years running. Yep. And then also, uh, you mentioned U-Haul earlier, moving van companies like U-Haul sometimes have their own type of relocators. You know, it mentioned like DIY movers, somebody that's just going to rent the truck and do it themselves rather than than hiring an actual moving company. Um, So... Since 2016, Florida has consistently been in the top two states for U-Haul, uh, and it did take the top uh, spot last year for U-Haul. Uh, also high on the list were Tennessee and Texas. Right. Um, and for Florida, with U-Haul alone, uh, there were more than 2 million one-way moves. That's, wow. That is That's a lot huge. of inbound moves. Yeah. yeah. So all these uh, U-Haul companies are, are are staying alive down here in Florida, but you'll see all those trucks. Everyone wants a truck that's it's available here in Florida. It's it is interesting if you ever go on like you can go on the U-Haul site and like get quotes for right. you know what a, a moving truck would cost. Right. And if you you know go just look you know pretty much anywhere and see what it costs for that truck to, to for you to you know rent the truck there and move drive it into Florida. Right. The cost is pretty high. If you look at the exact opposite trip, you know, wherever you were planning on dropping it off and taking it back to the other, it is significantly low. cheap. Yeah, it's, it's significantly lower because they, I mean, think about it from the perspective of U-Haul. They got to get the truck back up there so right. somebody else can drive it back right. down. And they do, I, you know, sometimes when I've been on road trips and stuff, you'll, you'll, um, be coming, you know, back into Florida and you'll see like a caravan of U-Haul trucks, but that's because they don't have anybody to actually drive it back to where it needs to go. Right. So the employees actually have to drive these trucks and they will, there will be, like I said, just a caravan of them. So yeah, pr- pretty interesting stuff. 
Right. And um, uh, and as you know, location matters down here in Florida, doesn't it? So right, Yeah. So we got a little location data. Yeah, exactly. So even within Florida, some areas shine brighter than others. So U-Haul listed five Florida cities at their top twenty-five growth cities, uh, with the you know with the top three spots taken in Florida. Uh, so number one was uh, Kissimmee. Number two was Port St. Lucie. Number three, oh, do I do I have this wrong? Yeah, Northport yeah, was number one. Yeah, Northport was number one. Number two was Kissimmee. Number three was Port St. Lucie. Number six was Ocala, and number twenty-three was Melbourne. I th- I would think Melbourne would be a little bit more higher, but yeah, I can see why Melbourne is also up there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and look, this is interesting. We're not we're not just talking about uh, uh, top you know, cities in Florida, we're talking about the top 25 growth cities nationwide. So Florida took five spots of the top 25, including the top three spots. Three. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, pretty crazy. Um, Northport, by the way, that's one that we haven't really mentioned before. Um, but that is located over in Sarasota County. Um, so over, you know, kind of, kind of Southwest Florida on the Gulf coast. So surprisingly, United Van Lines listed top 25 cities by percent in inbound shipments analyzed by the Metropolitan Statistical Areas. Didn't didn't include Port St. Lucie or Ocala, but it did have eight Florida metros. So Sarasota, Bradenton ranked second, followed by Fort Myers, Cape Coral, uh, which came in fifth, Melbourne, Titusville, Palm Bay came in seventh, West Palm Beach, Boca Raton came in 15th, Daytona Beach came in 16th, Jacksonville 22, Orlando 23, and Tampa St. Beat Clearwater 25. No Florida city areas made to the bottom 25 of those cities. Yeah, so I mean, that basically tells us all of Florida is growing, right? So yeah, I mean, a lot of different areas that, that we went over there. Um, but bottom line is, uh, people are moving to Florida, you know, in droves. We've we've always seen a, a big growth population here, and it seems like that is is just continuing to go. So I mean, that's, that's why we do this show, to help give you guys all the information you need to help plan your move to Florida. So, you know, we're going to keep putting out content. We definitely want to hear your input. You know, we want to know what you guys think. We want to know what you guys want to hear about and if if there's information we're leaving out you know reach out to us and let us know um before we wrap it up i do again want to give credit to where all these uh um, numbers facts and figures came from so as i mentioned the real estate trends webinar that was done by florida realtors that really helped in putting this episode together and then the uh the van line episode uh as well that was an article called move it move it van lines (laughs) relocate people to florida um and that was by erica plemons who's an economist and the director of housing statistics for florida to realtors so yeah that's our, our credits for this episode they gave us a, a lot of good info to help put this together um, mo would you like to wrap this one up all right we want to hear from you what are your questions about moving to florida let us know drop us a dm on facebook or instagram at moving to florida show and our twitter handle is at moving to fl show if you'd like to connect with us if you have any questions or if you need a realtor in florida you can reach out to us at moving to Florida show at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to our show if you like our content so that it would automatically download to your device and get you one step closer to moving to Florida. Mm-hmm.